0: I was thinking about this, uh, Good Friday. What is Good Friday? Don't worry, this isn't a quiz. But if you like to take notes, please do. If you don't, please still do. <laughs> right, Leo? Okay. I was thinking about what is Good Friday? You know, going back and, and looking at this thing, it's a, it's typically when you look at it, it's a morning observation of the crucifixion of Christ. It's very solemn. Uh, doesn't tend to be as joyous as Easter. And I was digging some more. Why is it called Good Friday? You know, what's so good about the Son of God being crucified? So I was digging and, and digging through that and found out the first, uh, first couple of generations of Christians, Friday was typically a fasting day, every Friday. It wasn't until the fourth century that they're like, oh, maybe this Friday should be more important than the others. It came from the Gallic language, which included part of German, Germany. So in German, and some of you will know this, so if I mispronounce this, please forgive me. Gut Freitag, Good Friday. And with the idea of that word gut, was also holy. So Holy Friday. It just didn't mean like it was good like anything else. And what happens on Good Friday throughout the world Many read through the passages of the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. There's fastings, processions, and ceremonial practices. There is a lot of reenactments, mock reenactments. Very common practice through a variety of Christian faiths, different countries, including India, I found out. What's a little bit more upsetting is that in the Philippines, they actually crucify a guy in their reenactments. And these reenactments go so much, I'm watching a commercial of Vikings and they're showing the Russian Orthodox in the 12th century doing a reenactment on this commercial. So a lot that is there, but when I was going through this is that there's one question that bugged me is why is Good Friday so important? Why should it be so important to me? Why should Good Friday be so important to you? Very, very important to think. Because we can come here, can't we? We can come here on Good Friday and we can observe communion and it's meaningless. Can't we? We can we can go to a Good Friday service and you know what? They got these red sticky notes with our sins on it. And we come up to a wooden cross and we nail it on the cross. But it can be meaningless. Can't it? You may not get it. Anybody ever come to church with a bad attitude? (laughs) Okay, there's three, four, five of us. But it's the same thing that can happen right now. You know what? This is the 50th Good Friday I observed. And we've come and we've went. Why do we do this? Because at times we can trust in ritual and not in relationship, can't we? We fail to grasp hold of that relationship with God and Jesus Christ. We fail to cling to Jesus Christ's righteousness instead of our own. Don't we? So, for those of you that don't want to be disappointed, I'm going to tell you this story. And I encourage you to read Luke 22 and 23. We're not going to read through it tonight. But hey, they had the Last Supper. Remember that? Remember that? Wine, bread. Everybody's asking, who's going to betray you? Jesus said, the guy that dips the bread into the wine and takes it. We know, Judas says, me, yes, go do what you're supposed to do. He goes and he tells him, gets his 30 pieces of silver. The disciples leave that building, the roof of that building, and they go where? Garden of Gethsemane. And as they're there, they're praying. Right? He takes Peter, James, and John a little further, and they continue to pray. So this is likely midnight-ish that it's happening then after that, Judas leads the guards of the temple with some religious rulers, right? And he says, Hey, the, the dude I kissed, that's the fake Messiah. And Judas walks up. Jesus says, What well, say you, friend? And he kisses him on the cheek. And then they ask him, right? They ask him, Are you the Messiah? And he says, I am. And this is the cool part. You remember what happens? They fall down. <laughs> you know? God, Son of God, saying, I am right in front of them. Well, they take him. And then they take him to the high priest, house. and to the Sanhedrin, and they judge him, they mock him. Can you imagine a burlap bag over your head and somebody hitting you and telling you to prophesy? Tell me who hit you. Prove it. He goes through that. And so they, they rip their clothes because he does not deny that he's the son of God. And then they take him where? Take him to Pilate. And as he is before Pilate, they're making all these reviling accusations against Jesus. And they say, he says he's this guy, the king of the Jews. And what's important about that, they're trying to say, hey, he's leading a rebellion against the Roman army. Pilate says, is this true? He says, yep. Well, he doesn't say yep. I don't think they have that in Hebrew. Yep. But as he he does this, you'll remember, Pilate's wife says, Honey, don't do anything with him. He beats him, tries to release him. They refuse. Brings him out again. They refuse. They want a murderous, dissentious criminal to be released in their favor. So Pilate also finds out, hey, the guy says he's from Galilee. Herod's visiting in town. He goes and sends him to Herod, right? And Pilate and Herod aren't friends, but after that day they are. What do Herod, What does Herod do? He wants to see a miracle. Oh, maybe I get to see a miracle. Jesus doesn't answer a word to, to Herod's questions. So Herod's soldiers mock him, put a crown of thorns on him, put a purple robe on him, make fun of him, send him back. To Pilate. Pilate tries to release him. Do you remember what they started to yell? Crucify him. Crucify him. For those of you that have seen the movie The Passion, it hurts, doesn't it? It is so real. So they start to go, and Jesus cannot carry that 100-pound crossbar and they get Simon of Cyrene, and he carries it. And he carries it there. And they take Jesus' clothes. They divide it. They're nailing him to the cross. First thing out of his mouth, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And they crucify him. They crucify him between two criminals. And as he is crucified, the soldiers mock him. Prove it. If you're the Son of God, prove it. Nothing is there. No response. The time goes on. And the criminal, first criminal, says, You're the son of God, prove it. Free yourself. The other criminal though says, What? Hey idiot. This everybody knows this is a paraphrase, right? This isn't this is a story. I it's just I got an overactive imagination at times. Hey idiot, don't you even fear God? We are up here because we deserve to be up here because we're getting the punishment for what we've done. This man has done nothing. He's innocent. And then he turns to Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, tonight you'll be with me in paradise. The rulers are coming by, the Jewish leaders and rulers, they're mocking him. If you're the son of God, come off the cross. If you're the son of God, do you understand what it would mean if he came off the cross? We would not be here right now. At all. The people are watching, and they beat their breasts. Yes, justice is done. The disciples and the women are farther off, watching everything that's happening. He says, I thirst, he gets a drink. And then later, his last statement, Father, into your hands I commit, my spirit. And gives up his last breath. And in that last breath, the Roman centurion in charge of the privates of the Roman army says, Truly, this was the Son of God. Then Joseph of Arimathea comes and asks for his body and buries him. That's the story. That's the story of why you are here, because we know what that story is. Good Friday, Holy Friday, the crucifixion of Jesus is significant then. It's significant now. It's significant forever But people respond different ways. Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, talks about this in chapter 1. And he basically, there's three answers that you can give. You think this is foolish. Talking about a guy dying on a cross, this is foolish. You think it's offensive. Why did this even happen? Why did this even have to happen? Or it's the power of God and wisdom for you. I want to talk to you about trees today and it'll come together don't worry I've had encounters with trees at time and I like trees the first tree that I can remember is when I'm five throwing a rock over the tree and breaking the neighbor's window (laughs) one of the next most important trees I remember is the one at uh, Spring River in Carthage Missouri yes you went swimming in the river and a big rope tied to the tree okay we had a maple tree in our house. I do not like eating persimmons off of persimmon trees. Black cherry trees, they are totally worthless because they only got about this big. More pit than fruit. We have a big silver maple in our backyard. I can't even put my arms around it. The importance of trees for Colorado is, you know, we have, what, bottle brush pine, lodgepole pines, black pine. I can't even remember all of them. We like our trees in Colorado, don't we? But it's at a tree that this whole Good Friday starts. Because it's at the tree in the Garden of Eden that something was lost. There it's where Adam and Eve disregarded God's word, disobeyed God's word, rejected God's word, rebelled by trusting in the word of the evil one. Lucifer, Satan, placing their loyalty and obedience to his word first. Humanity is dead in trespasses and sins. They walk according to the direction of the prince of the power of the air, a.k.a. Lucifer. And they're called children of disobedience. Second Corinthians 4.4 4 says the God of this age blinds people to the truth of God's living word, Jesus. So at this tree, the innocence of man was lost and the relationship with God was corrupted and defiled, no longer holy. It's at another tree that we come to, the tree at the Garden of Gethsemane. A similar temptation happens there. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, says, hey, pray that you don't enter into temptation. Has anybody under, wondered what the temptation was? Maybe it's a temptation to not believe because of what was going to happen immediately after that. Unbelief, doubt. Jesus' prayer to God is, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Luke chapter 22, verse 42. He didn't. Listen to another word. But God's. At this tree, the innocence of the Son of God was tried and confirmed. His relationship with the Father was not corrupted, was not defiled, was holy. And as you turn to Isaiah 53, it's this last tree that we're going to talk about. The significance of of not only the tree at Golgotha on Calvary, but of Jesus fulfilling this word. Isaiah 53, verse 3 through 6 says, He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And just in case you're wondering, this is written close to 600 years before this happened. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and he hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's heavy. Did you see how many personal pronouns were in there? Our, our. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us, all, all of us. He goes on in verse 12. He poured out his soul into death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So we have this prophecy from Isaiah of what was going to be accomplished of what was there, and we're, we're talking about Good Friday. Why is it Good Friday if the Son of God was crucified? Why is it Good Friday if he was killed for me? Go back to Isaiah 53. Our transgressions, our sin, our chastisement, our, our, our. He took it. that's just the introduction there's five things four things about the cross that's very important there's one that's really heavy the first one is on this cross the significance of this cross this tree at this tree of Calvary Jesus reconciled you to God that's part of what he did You know, in our culture today, we have all sorts of irreconciliation, don't we? There's everything around whatever it is. You're totally polarized. All right? Ford and Chevy. That's just nice. But then it starts to build up. Denver, Colorado Springs. Then it starts to, to build up. Republican, Democrat. Then it, then it starts to build up more. What is your view on this? What is your view on this? Down to how much melanin you have in your skin. Which is color. Whatever it is that, that culture today is going to try to get you not to trust your neighbor, not to even trust your kids, not to trust your spouse on some fictional thing that they want to cause division about. And I'm not discounting the reality of bad things happening and needing to have justice. I'm not saying that. But when we create a culture of automatic hatred, (laughs) we Christians need to ask ourselves to see if we remember we're reconciled to God. Because there's every reason about us not to be reconciled to Him. And you're going to hear some of that. So what's even greater is God reconciling us back to him, restoring relationship with him eventually better than before the fall of Adam and Eve. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This boggles my mind. Me being a sinner and the things that I'm thinking about, the things that I've done, the things that hopefully I don't do tomorrow, but all of those things, is he still loved me enough while I was in the midst of that to still send Jesus to pay for it. If that doesn't make you thankful, I don't know what will. And I know some of you. That is awesome. Romans 5, 10 through 11 For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Through whom we have now received the reconciliation. A chain that needs to be broken because of the cross is to think, Christian, when you sin, you can reconcile yourself to God. You have been reconciled. And it happened on the tree at Calvary. The next thing, as we look at what Christ did, is that he prov- provided propitiation. After that, we're going to have a, after service, we're going to have a contest to see who can say this three times fast. Okay? Propitiation. Nice $5 word, isn't it? Wrath appeasing sacrifice. But in digging out this, it's God's wrath at our corruption, our defilement of what has happened to us, of the decisions that we make. It's not because of who you are. The unholiness is what the wrath is poured out to towards the impure, the unholy, defiled acts of rebellion. Our sin requires purgation, purging, ridding from us. 1 John 2, 1 through 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate With the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. He is the purifying payment for our sin. That act on the tree is making us holy and has made us holy in an eternal mindset. That propitiation, appeasing God's wrath towards the sin that was there. Not only are we reconciled in relationship, we're purified through the blood of Jesus, made holy to be able to be with God forevermore. I want you to just imagine, and we have examples in the scripture, I want you to imagine standing before God right now just with you. It's scary, isn't it? But we have an advocate. We we have a, a defense lawyer that is our friend that says I'll take his punishment too. That's what's encapsulated in that verse. There is no wrath upon believers. It makes me, reminds me of this song. So if you're over 40, you should know this. So please respond. What can wash away my sins? What can make me whole again? It's awesome, isn't it? (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. But it, it doesn't stop there. Another $5 word, justification. Jesus provided justification. An easy way to remember this is just as if I'd sinned. Okay? So justified, or just as if I didn't sin. Boy, that would be a twist, wouldn't it? Just as if I didn't sin. But righteousness is inextricably linked with that. So if you didn't sin, you are totally righteous. Totally. Now, as we look across the room, we know that's a future fulfillment (laughs) that Jesus has done. But it's something that we need to grasp because we will try to justify ourselves, won't we? We will. We will try to make up for that sin. To, be it, to make it seem as if we haven't sinned. So it means to be judged righteous, to be judged innocent before the first tree, innocent. To be judged innocent, not guilty, to be judged without sin. No record of wrongs. The Apostle Paul got this. Before Jesus, he was a righteous man According to Judaic and and Phariseeal standards, wasn't he? He was at the top. He was there. He knew it. But after Jesus, he recognizes the truth of that, and he was unrighteous. In Philippians 3, 7 through 9, this is what Paul writes. But what things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ." Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. The righteousness that you possess today, is owned by Jesus Christ. And that's what is put upon us. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin, so he was already righteous, nothing there, he made him to be sin for you, for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, the Son of God, Righteous, pure, holy, undefiled, uncorrupted. God said, okay, this is the plan. Unrighteousness is put on you, so that your righteousness is put on those that have faith through you. Romans 3 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But 24, listen to verse 24 being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ. We are justified because of what Christ has done. Some of you have kids, right? And as soon as they forget to do so, well, why didn't you do that? And what happens? All the justification of why they didn't do that. Well, because I didn't have enough time. Well, because of this. Never because I forgot. Right? None of that. We are justified because of what Jesus did. In that last verse, it helps transition to this last one, which is very important. Redemption. Jesus provided redemption. He redeemed us. You think of some illustrations of this, and you know you, some people might, might take an article to the pawn shop, and they'll get money, but then they go back and they redeem it, right? They give the money necessary at the agreed price, and they redeem it, right? That's, that's close, but not, not good enough. Uh, but it goes back to the tree of thinking about we were taken in a con man's show game to obey his word, and have become defiled. But God came to redeem us at a necessary cost. What was required. And part of this redemption is where there's, there's five different things. And, and the, the first one is, is to purchase for a price. And you're like, okay, I go to Kohl's and JCPenney's. I hate those places. Be- because my wife loves those places. But it's more than that. I want you to try to put your brain back into the time that Paul's writing this in, the, in 50 AD and what we might find is out in front of, of this building out close to academies you'll find a stage and what you find on this stage is people start hollering and they start lining up and they may be shackled and they're selling humans. For work. And these are slaves, they're not Roman citizens, these are these are not indebters, these are slaves that are taken into captivity through vice, through warfare. And they're standing there. Some of them may not even be clothed, filthy, until they're purchased. And they're purchased for a price. That price for you, my friend, was Jesus' blood. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The first point with redemption is that you were purchased But that cost wasn't money. It was blood. The next is that you're purchased for transfer of citizenship. So this slave has been purchased. He no longer belongs to the slave owner, he no longer belongs to the sin that caused him to be captured. He belongs to someone else. 1 Peter 2 9 and 10. We are to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. This is huge, and we missed this. This slave was purchased. This slave was purchased, but you're no longer a slave. You're a citizen. It's huge. Do you remember when when Paul was getting rousted out of whatever city, right? And they start beating up a little bit. And he says to the centurion, hey, do you always beat citizens? Well, it's okay. Just come this way. We'll slide you out the back door. Anybody remember that story? Okay. It was huge. Because he said, hey, I bought my citizenship. Christ said, I was born a citizen. The importance of this is that the Roman citizenship in taking the context of this verse is huge because not everybody was a citizen. But here what Christ has done, what God has done in redemption has transferred us from darkness to light. We weren't a people, but now we are the people of God. The next thing that redemption talks about is to be freed. So to be bought for a price which is Christ's blood. To be given citizenship and then to be freed. Titus 2.14, speaking of Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. We're freed from every lawless deed. We're free to be never enslaved again. Romans 6, 17 and 18. But God bethinked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered and having been set free from sin. Did you catch that? I know there are some people here that you're saying, it's just how I am. And when we say that, we're saying, God, I don't believe you. Our actions are returning to the first tree of not trusting God's word and believing the lie that is stuck in your mind. We're set free from sin. You became slaves of righteousness to never be enslaved again. The last point with redemption is to purchase to make the air. So we've we've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been purchased, and no longer are we in this citizenship of darkness. We are in the citizenship of life, of light. No longer are we an unrecognizable people without a name. Now we are the people of God. No longer are we enslaved, but we have been freed. Last Ephesians 1.5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Can you imagine this? Go back to our scene. There's a slave and somebody buys them, but the cost was his life. And he gives them citizenship. He gets what they would get is a piece of paper you're a citizen and not only that he cannot be enslaved a Roman citizen couldn't be enslaved he's given his freedom and everything that I own is now yours he's the heir he inherits your joint heirs with Christ like it says in Ephesians I can't even fathom that I try. We're in heaven. The rapture's come. We've went through the Bema seat. You know, we get rewards and those types of things. We give them back. But we're your joint heirs with Christ. I can't even fathom and try to imagine what that means. It's huge. So on this last tree, Jesus has reconciled us to God. He's purified us. He's provided that propitiation. He's justified us, just as if we didn't sin. He's redeemed us. What matters now is your response to that tree. your response to the cross, your response to that first Good Friday. And we, we covered those three things that Paul covered. Foolishness. Just to summarize what the possible meaning is, Greeks thought you were morons. Foolishness is Moriah in Greek. Justin Martyr in the first century said it's utter madness. They thought you were mad, utterly mad to pursue such a religion. Okay, you're talking to your Greek philosopher guy, so let me get this straight. You worship somebody who claimed to be the son of God, but better than Hercules, you know, better than Zeus. You're claiming this, and and however, he was killed like a criminal. And the worst form of punishment of a criminal on a cross. Is that what you're telling me? So the the, the, the person you, you trust for eternity is a criminal who died a humiliating death. I don't get it. This is foolishness. That's what the Greeks would say. The Jews, Jewish people would say it's offensive. You'll remember the word stumbling block, but to the Jews it's a stumbling block. It's an offense. It's offensive. Scandalon. But it begs the question Is God's love offensive? And the last and I hope and pray is that it, the cross is the power of God and wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians one eighteen: For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I grew up in Independent Fundamental Baptist Church. I remember having seven people at church one winter. I was in that church from when we averaged 15 people to there's about 330. So I was in there a long time, age 7 till 18. And there was times I was just playing the game. Christianese, knew all the language, right? Here's what's even funnier. Don't laugh, please. I went to two preaching contests before I was a believer. Two of them. It took a car going 55 miles an hour on a a country road bridge and me thinking I'm bigger. Breaking my jaw in three places, breaking my leg. My friend thought I was dead. Six weeks with my mouth wired shut and a weird cast thing on my leg and nothing changed until... The first time back. And in a horrible, horrible 1980s polyester green suit with a 1960s four inch wide tie, right? I know some of you guys had those. The pastor said, The cross is the way of salvation. And that was it. Didn't care what anybody thought. I was down front on that Baptist altar, crying my eyes out. Why? Because no longer was it foolish. No longer was it offensive. The power of God laid upon me, and you need to be saved. And it's more than just knowing what the story says. It's knowing what happened on that tree more than anything else. He reconciled us, purified us, justified us, redeemed us. Can you see the eternal impact of that tree? The act on there. Is it foolish to you? Is it offensive to you? Although I used two Greek words, I tried to keep it simple, like Paul, because it really doesn't matter. He says in chapter 2, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech, please don't say amen, or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And as we close, I want you to start to think, believer, what are you going to do? And you might think that this is old hat. But will you remember the cross? Will you remember the cross not with self-condemnation? Because there isn't any in Jesus, is there? Not with self-righteousness. Because if you're on the path of self-righteousness, you need to drop it like it's hot. Okay? And you need to put on Christ's righteousness. Unbeliever, will you grasp God's grace? Do you understand, and you've heard this verse, but I just wanted to make it personal. For God so loved you, he gave his only son. That you might believe in what he did on the cross for you. Reconciling you to him. Purifying you from sin. Justifying you. Redeeming you to eternal life with him. That doesn't sound offensive to me. But like we sang, it sounds like love. God didn't send Jesus to condemn you, but to save you from sin and death. But if you don't believe, you are on your own because you have rejected such a gift. God said, for the wages of sin is death, and that's what you deserve. You are going to get what you deserve to be paid. Another cataclysmic, But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's for you. Will you believe in Jesus and receive that gift of being with God forevermore? That last tree provided restoration to being with God. And as our uh, worship people come back up, this, of course, reminded me of a great oldie. And I'm going to read it to you. And you're probably saying, praise God, he's not singing. But you'll remember this very well. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross, the dearest, where the dearest and best, for a world of lost sinners was slain. Oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wonderful attraction to me for the dear lamb of god left his glory above to bear it to dark calvary in that old rugged cross stained with blood so divine a wondrous beauty i see for twas on that old cross jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me to that old rugged cross i will never be true i will ever be true its shame and reproach gladly bear then he'll call me some day to my home far away where his glory forever I'll share. And the chorus is, so I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. What does Good Friday mean to me? God loved me. Jesus proved it and I believe it. If you need prayer for anything, please come forward. We'll have uh, some lay pastors on the side. But listen, if you don't believe in anything that I said, I pray you will before it's too late. And I could testify to that because it almost happened. I pray, I pray that you believe from your nose to your toes every atom of your being that God loves you, Jesus died for you, that you repent from sin and rebellion against God and believe by faith in what Jesus has done. Believer, just to remind you. And he died for all so that those who live no longer live for themselves but for the one who died and rose again. 2 Corinthians 5:15. Good Friday, Holy Friday this last tree as something to celebrate of what He's done for us. And we get that chance right now as we celebrate that Jesus was faithful. As we participate in communion that He shed His blood. And remember that? That blood bought you. That was the cost that bought you. Cleansed you from sin. Made you righteous. Justified you. His body was beaten and broken We couldn't have done it. Only he could. Will you stand with me? Father, we just ask that the power of the word through uh, the power of the Holy Spirit just goes out. May we participate in communion with an act of celebration, of humble thankfulness of the awesome act that happened on that tree that this was the best Friday in history of what Jesus has done for us. So please, Holy Spirit, work on the hearts of those that are here. And we do ask it because of what he's done. In the power of Jesus' name, amen.